All right. <clears throat> we are uh, we're continue, continuing to walk with Paul in the book of Corinthians so that we learn how to walk with the Spirit in Chesterland, Ohio, and other areas. Uh, today, I have got uh, a passage again back to 1 Corinthians 6. We'll finish with 6 today. And... Uh, go into marriage uh, next week. But both of these themes, uh, they're tied all together in Corinthians with the preface, and I don't, I don't want you to miss this because in some of the commentaries, when they start to talk about Corinthians and the particular issues, they forget what went on before. And what went on before was Paul was saying, the wisdom of God is wiser than the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. And God's wisdom is for you as Christians. And then as you go through that, the whole first chapter, first four chapters of Corinthians, Paul is saying, uh, you are the people of God. And so when he gets into the particulars, we tend to forget that. And we're going to go into the particulars today uh, with some of the problems that, that Paul had in dealing with the Corinthians. And so today's title is a, is a mouthful. It's the replacement theory and the deculturalizing the Christians, or the, the Corinthians. And so let me just jump right into this and, uh, and, and tell you what's on my heart. And hopefully uh, it does this thing where the Spirit of God brings us together and unified. The idea that we have a replacement theory is in the news today. It's, uh, you've heard it from Char Charlottesville when you've had those marches throughout the country, different places where people have come up and they said, we, we are going to protest because we feel like we're being threatened in our country by being replaced. And so the white supremacist group were chanting, the Jews will not replace us. That idea that of being replaced by a population is not a... Uh, a new thing, Renaud Camus in, uh, in French wrote this book, You Will Not Replace Us. That's where that phrase came from. But he was a French-born conspiracy theorist and a white supremacist as well. But his, uh, his claim uh, was he was threatened by somebody dominating his world. Well... There's a lot of phrases that go in with this, and I don't want to go into much about replacement theory, but just to play with it a little bit. But the other words go with this is genocide or ethnic cleansing. Hegemony, which means a dominant political system that's controlling in an oppressive way, a radical nationalism, xenophobia. And you think about all that's underneath that in, in these cultures is rooted and grounded in the fact that there's a threat, a fear. And again, this is not new, folks. If you go back in the New Testament, remember Herod the Great? When they heard about Jesus being born, he was threatened of a new king taking over. Uh, it goes way back in the Old Testament. When Moses was born under that first Pharaoh, Joseph was in prison, the new Pharaoh came in, but the, that Pharaoh Seti 
and then the other Ramses, the first, they were both threatened by the birth of the Hebrews. And so in Exodus 1, it says that uh, to the new king, uh, Joseph meant nothing. And therefore he says, this people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us and leave the country. This is not a new uh, concept. It's deeply rooted in our, in our history in the past and currently. The same thing is taking place right now with the Ukrainians. But listen to what Putin said, that he's long claimed that the Ukrainian people belong to Russia and that they are one people. We're not just close neighbors. We are one nation. In his mind, he becomes the, the liberator, the one who's taking... Uh, his people away. He wants to bring them back. He wants to replace them. Again, there are so many examples in history, but you know, in all of human history, there have only been 26, in all of recorded human history, there have only been 26 years of peace with no war. And that's why Jesus would say in John 16, I have told you these things. I have told you these things that in me you will have peace, but in the world you will have trouble. In the world you will have tribulation. In the world, but in your heart you'll have peace. Take heart. I have overcome the world. So last week, just to review, we have these two themes that Paul is really getting at because what is at stake here is the very gospel itself. And the two words that are used interchangeably in our English language were, were different for Paul. And so, again, I ask the question, what, what's the difference between liberty and freedom? You check your brain because you think about that. And you, Can you remember what I said last week? Uh, well, let me, let me refresh you. By the way, this is not David Headley. Uh, I, 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 I thought this... It looks pretty, he looks close. I thought, no. But what I said last week was this, that the Greek word, the Greek word liberty meant that you were not enslaved, that you were not entangled, that you were not endangered. And therefore, liberty means that there's some ominous, evil, oppressive, tyrannical, monster, and I use my friend, King Kong, and I had that dream that he was hopping on the houses and stood right in front of my house, and I was, I was afraid. I remember as a kid, I'm thinking, oh, he's going to come after me. When there's liberty, it means that there's something that's threatening you. And so in the concentration camp, you have to be liberated from the demonic power of Hitler. They had to be liberated from Hitler. But it, liberty has to do with liberation. You're pulled out of that. And that's what salvation is. You're pulled out of danger. You're pulled out of darkness. You're pulled out of fear. But you are pulled out and delivered into liberty. Because you've been liberated by a liberator. 
And therefore, liberty always has to do with something that's controlling, dominating, oppressing you. Cigarettes can do that. Alcohol can do that. Political systems can do that. Uh, Mean bosses can do that. But there's something that's causing you stress that's outside coming in, and therefore, a lot of those people are in bondage or in oppressive states. But liberty means to be delivered from the hands of the oppressor. He knows all too well the soldiers that fought and died in the Ukrainian conflict today will have their own memorial day later on if they're not dominated and destroyed by Putin. Freedom is just different. Freedom is is the state of getting out of that danger, but now you're facing the total freedom with no monkey on your back. And the idea that you are called to freedom, stand in that freedom, walk in that freedom, fight in that freedom. And that was the issue for Paul, that for the Corinthians, they were set free from not, not the law, but they were free from the world and the culture. They were Gentiles. They weren't under the the Torah, um, to think that that's the way to get to salvation. They had a different set of oppressive uh, things that were challenging them. Sin, Satan, the flesh, the world, the devil. But Paul was thinking, these sophomore Christians, they really need help. And so when Paul writes... In 1 Corinthians, again, chapter 6, he says, because he knows their struggles. And the comment that he says is this, um, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. Not all things are profitable or beneficial. All things are lawful for me. I've got my right to do anything I want. But Paul says, I will not be enslaved by any of these things. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. But the body is not meant for sexual immorality. And in this place, he's going to go right after the bondage of sexual immorality. Now, you have to understand that these Christians who grew up in Corinth were a Corinthian meant to be immoral, to be loose, to have no restraint, to give give. Give your body away without any regard. They were bound by their culture. So Paul would say, uh, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Six times in this passage alone, he says, do you not know? And the issue of ignorance of the gospel, ignorance of the freedom in the gospel, they did not know And so he he had to teach them, shall I take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Again, bondage, liberation. No, you don't do that because you have a new identity in Christ. Never. Or do you not know that one who is joined to the prostitute becomes one with her? For as it is written, like I told Rick and Veronica yesterday, the two shall become one flesh. Or one spirit. 
But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So his command, how you handle sexual immorality was flee. Don't try to fight it. Just get out of there. It's not worth fighting for. And so the temptation that the Corinthians had is not flee. This is so much part of my makeup. This is who I, this is who we are. We are Corinthians. For them to leave their culture, leave their mindset would be so radical. And not knowing the spirit, they would have compromised and give in to it. And therefore, their morality would dictate their theology, as opposed to their theology dictating the morality. And that was a problem because they were ignorant. They were immature. They were compromising and they were giving themselves back to the very bondage that Christ died for. Flee that, he says. For don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, Paul says, for you were bought with a price. So glorify, honor God in your body. What a challenge it was for Paul. What a challenge it is for us. Because you've got a group of Christians who are growing somewhat, but they're dealing with their culture, encroaching on their growth. And so the question is, I ask you, were they Corinthian Christians? Or were they Christian Corinthians? Interesting. Were they Corinthian Christians or Christian Corinthians? Now notice, whatever word goes before the first is in an adjectival. It describes the subject, the noun. So they were Corinthian Christians, meaning they were Christians first, who happened to live in Corinth. Or they were Corinthians first and foremost, and they happen to add the gospel to their thinking. And either way, you've got a real tension here where culture and the gospel compete in the heart of an individual. And that individual spirit is going to follow one or the other. Question. Are we American Christians? Or are we Christian Americans? Because one of those other... One of those words are going to dominate your thinking. And so that's why for Paul, he was always in contention because these Corinthian, Corinthian Christians were answering, we're Christian Corinthians. We want to follow our culture. And therefore they were arguing with Paul. I have the right to do anything. I'm Corinthian. And to be free in Corinthian means I don't have anybody telling me what to do. I am on my own. Who do you think you are, Paul? Yeah, but I will not be mastered by anything. You're free to take drugs. You're not free of the consequences of drugs. You're free to, sm you're free to do anything. But the question isn't about your freedom. The question is about the goodness to honor that which is beneficial and profitable, not just for you, not just for an individual private freedom, it's for the good of, of society. And so Paul would say 
to them in response to their question. It doesn't matter what we do. We can do anything we want to. Paul says, no. The question is, you can drive either side of the road if you want to be free. But there's a design for things. And Paul says the body was meant for, uh, not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. First of all, our Christian identity has to be the root of, of everything that we are and be and do and say and think and feel. Because if that's not there, the culture will tell you, you should be prettier. You should be smarter. You should be stronger. You, the culture will dictate to you not only your theology, the culture will dictate to you who you should be in your relationships. And to the degree that we understand and learn by the Spirit that we are Christians bought with a price, our identity is in our relationship with Christ. We abide in Him. We, we adore Him. Our, our orientation is towards a different culture. We are citizens of a different kingdom. And therefore, we have to be deculturated from our, from our society to have an emphasis that we are the people of God, a distinct people. The people of God that Peter would talk about, a, a, a people that would be redeemed out of Egypt, out of darkness, into light, that we would proclaim his magnificent excellencies of grace and goodness and love and name it. It just goes on and on. But the idea that there's a movement away from your culture to understand who you are in Christ. And if you don't have that, and they didn't have that, do you not know? No, Paul, we don't know. Don't you know the Spirit of God dwells within? No, we didn't know that, Paul. And therefore, Paul's work was to disciple, teach, and ground the people that the gospel is relevant to your very life because you belong to someone else. The people of God, Paul would say. Saint, sanctified, set apart, unusual. Uh, peculiar was the word Peter said. Peculiar in what way? Well, peculiar in the sense that who you are and your orientation now is not just getting what you want, your freedom to go after anything because grace and forgiveness is yours. He says, flee that kind of self-centeredness and get back into a relationship where honor, not sin, is the focus. Paul would say, as a people of God, you are a priesthood, a kingdom of priests. Now think about that, because that idea that you are meant to be a priest, we don't think about that. Priests are... Priests and pastors tend to be that professional category that let them do, they get paid for all that stuff and therefore you guys, they're, they're the big guys and you guys just, uh, no, no, no. There's no difference in the kingdom of God. There's no laity. We are all called to the ministry, right? But the idea of priesthood is different. Luther believed in priesthood so much that he thought the word priests would replace the word Christian. Oh, yeah, those, those are the priests. Not those are the Christians. To be identified as people who will go, well, what does a priest do? Well, the priest is very much aware of his own needs and his own weaknesses. Therefore, he has compassion. 
He understands what forgiveness is, and he speaks about forgiveness. He's a man or woman, woman maybe in some denominations, where the idea that you're dealing with the fallenness of man with the hope of the gospel, that you're ministering and you're influencing people who are falling apart. Thursday night, Wednesday night and Thursday night, I got home at 12 and 1230. Uh, Long distance phone calls of of situations, I just, just rip your heart out. Ukraine would rip your heart out. Uvalde would rip your heart out. A priest knows how to sympathize. It brings compassion, brings hope. Christians, priests, is that what you think about yourself? That your involvement as the people of God are to bring the gospel of hope and mercy and compassion because you're priests. And so Paul would say to the Corinthians, you don't understand what it means to talk about liberation from sexual immorality because you don't think about being priests. You don't think about the culture dominating you and you're arguing with me about your right to do the cultural thing as Corinthians because you don't understand you're the people of God. And therefore Paul was trying to say, you are called into a glorious position to be liberated from your sin, to not be afraid of death or the world. And therefore, to be deculturalized as a Corinthian meant to be more conformed to the one that they were called to by the one who adored them and they would adore him. This idea that the identity that we have as Christians, our identity is directly proportional to how much we understand the gospel and how much the culture is influencing the misunderstanding of ourselves with the gospel. If the culture is going to come in and dictate to us what we have to believe, how we have to act, how we have to speak, then the cultural culture is going to dominate our theology, our ethics, our morality, and there'll be no priesthood. But for us to deculturalize our culture means that we belong, you have to have a clear strength and a a strong understanding that you are called to be salt and light. Our kingdom identity has got to be the focus that we understand. And therefore, if we don't understand that, don't you know? No, we don't know that, Paul. You're most vulnerable to some King Kong, tyrannical, oppressive, worldly, whoever, whatever, philosophy that will dictate to you what you are. And therefore, that identity will be replaced. In other words, you will forfeit the gospel. You will forfeit the privileges of the kingdom. You will imbibe and not flee immorality. You will run to it and justify it. Paul's got his hands full here. And therefore, because the Corinthians didn't understand what Paul was saying, because they were immature, they were ignorant, and they were drunk with their culture. Well, deculturalization. 
In the American Civil War, the South believed that the North, if they get their way, that Abraham Lincoln, if he was elected, they would lose their rights. Losing their right. I have a right. I can do anything I want to, right? But the South were threatened because they were afraid if those Northerners get in, those foreigners, <laughs> they seceded. Christians are seceding from the church because they're demanding their rights instead of realizing that there's a higher calling than your rights. There's a higher calling to be free, to serve in love. Touchy subject. Listening to the news, when an 18-year-old gets an eight, uh, assault rifle and goes in to school. Again, if this doesn't make you angry, it should. It should. But there's a need for a priest here. Not just a priest to comfort and come alongside, but a need to deculturalize those who are demanding the rights. I think we should outlaw AR-15s. Without, without hesitation. I believe in the Second Amendment, but don't misunderstand. You don't have the right to destroy their culture for your personal privileges. And therefore, our gun violence, someone's going to have to deal with it. The world is not going to deal with it. We know that. Our kids will be killed because of that spirit. America without her soldiers would be like God without his angels. America without her children is like God without his angels. Christianity then, if it's going to be believed in, if it's false, says the world, don't worry about it. And if it's true, it's of ultimate, infinite importance. But C.S. Lewis said one thing for sure. You just can't compromise the gospel make it mediocre. When the culture and theology and the gospel mix, you lose the power of the gospel. And therefore, for us, we have to deal with this battle. I think I'm going to leave it here, but to say again, that liberty that we have is to be released from this immorality, to be released from this culture, to be released from that old man, that old identity, and you are to be restored to honor. That's why those men fought and died. That's why we are priests. We pick up that torch and we fight that battle. Why? Because we know that in the gospel there's no fear in love. No, no fear in love. But perfect love fights and drives out the oppressive fear. Perfect love will go after and is actively partnering with the Spirit of God to go after the darkness, to deliver and liberate those that are in the darkness. And that's what Paul was doing with the Corinthians. And so he's fighting. He says, it's not the bondage that you're in that I'm interested. It's the bond of Christ that I want you to be in. And therefore, he moves right perfectly into the situation by saying, you are not your own. Your identity if you're married to Christ, if you're bound and abide in Christ, you belong to him. It's a relational thing. 
And then he scoots right on into marriage in the next chapter. You are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. For us as Christians, what does that mean? It means lots of things. That if we are culturally defined or influenced by things that really define us, instead of letting that identity deeply go to the core. So let me ask you, priests, are you American Christians or are you Christian Americans? What defines you in your core? And when the Holy Spirit is there at the core, you have liberty released and you have freedom to stand and share the good news. This is the disciple-making ministry that Paul had here. It's the disciple-making ministry we have here. The goal isn't to focus on just the negative. The focus is, is focus on the freedom that is ours in Christ and to grow up and worship and enjoy the redemptive work that Christ has done for us. You are the people of God. You are the priests of God. And you're called a partner to deculturalize the lost and bring them into the kingdom. That's our goal. That's our purpose. To lift up Christ, to honor Christ, to set people free with the forgiveness in the gospel. The good news, that's the challenge that Paul had. That's our challenge today. As we go into chapter 7, I would encourage you, again, to be aware of these things that are influencing you and the temptations that are tapping you on the shoulder because Satan would love to destroy you. So I would submit to you, use his tactics against him. Destroy Satan. Fight that battle. But be the people of God in the midst of a dark world. Let's pray. Jesus, I, I would just ask for the Spirit that you gave to us. It says, do you not know that you have received the Spirit of Christ and not the Spirit of the world? Lord, where we do not know that, where we are ignorant like the Corinthians, we would humble ourselves and say, Father, teach us. Help us understand how to, how to walk with you, get close to you, conform to you. And Father, where we miss out and are letting the culture in, would you have the Holy Spirit counsel us, enlighten us, and empower us? Father, for our country and for our leaders, lift us out of this darkness, this ignorance, and this insanity. Because only you, only you have gone to that cross. Only you can do that. So, Father, we call upon you as Savior and Deliverer, Liberator, and the one that sets us free. Lord, I do pray for us as priests that you would give us an understanding of what this means. Give us the strength to stand up to the culture and then influence the culture and not shrink back, but give us the courage to win the lost to Christ. For your glory, Father, for our growth, and for this church, Father, we ask that you would put your hand on us and lead us. In Jesus' name, amen.